We've been reading through the book of Mark, so if you'd like to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. And last week, we were introduced to Jesus as king in the first paragraph of this chapter, the one who God promised would bring in his kingdom. And so today, we're going to continue on um, in that chapter, starting from the beginning. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice to of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance and for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaimed the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Thank you, Mel. Uh, And I just want to add how encouraged we should be to have Mel joining our staff team uh, before you clap. Uh, So Mel's going to be uh, overseeing our kids' ministry, which is a great blessing because she's trained in all of that. I can't remember exactly uh, your training, Mel, but it was very good training in, uh, you know. What was it, Mel? Tell me. What's that? Teaching. All right, teaching, right? Uh, awesome. Uh, and then she's done, had a lot of experience overseeing these things uh, while on MTS with us, ministry training for four years, gone to college for three years, and now we've recruited Mel back uh, to be leading our kids' ministry, but also paying particular attention to discipling young women uh, in our church family. And so if you're a woman and you consider yourself young, uh, then get along. No, she'd love to meet all, all of us. Uh, but particular attention to the uh, discipling young women amongst us. Uh, what a blessing. Yeah, so you can you give it up for Mel now. Welcome, dear sister. So uh, who can tell me what happened on the 9th of February, 1954, right? Quick word to the person next to you. 9th of February, 1954. I'll give you a hint. We heard about this last week, right? 9th of February, 1954. Who can tell me? The Queen. It's got to do with the Queen. Came to Wyong. Right? The king. 
Here, let's have a look. I, I did not know about this, but the Queen came to Wyong. She didn't stop at Wyong, uh, but she came to Wyong. She kind of drifted through. Uh, she waved while she was there. Uh, people gathered. One poor girl, because I read the article in the Gosford uh, Times, one poor girl was there the whole day. She accidentally slipped over at the critical moment when she stood back up, the Queen had gone. Oh, tragic. Uh, now, the 3rd of February was what was called... Do you, anyone remember what was the 3rd of February was called? Queen's Day, very close. Q-Day, right? Q-Day, it's when the Queen stepped ashore. Uh, so here it is. Uh, you can see the Harbour Bridge in the background. There at Bondi Beach uh, with the Range Rover. Uh, and my, I know about... I'm an expert on these things because my mum was there. See, my mum did a coronation dance for the Queen. Do you want to see that? Uh, so there she is up there, top there. I don't know which one's my mum, um, but she was doing the coronation dance with a whole lot of other girls uh, at the Queen's arrival at the SCG. Uh, and there was this, a lot of hype, a lot of hype. Like, you can't imagine the same sort of hype for King George. No, King, who is he? Who's our King. King Charles, King Charles, I'm not as engaged in, the, in this whole thing. So King Charles III, right, is coming later with Queen Camilla. Um, but you can't imagine there'll be the same sort of hype and excitement. Maybe, I don't know. Who knows? You, don't, you, don't, you didn't even know about this, right? The king's coming. Um, all right, now, so the queen came down, uh, you know, travelling from Central Station, I think it is, to the Sydney Cricket Ground, uh, and um, the government was concerned because a lot of those suburbs were working-class suburbs, Redfern, Surrey Hills, and so the government madly kind of did a bit of a panic to clean things up, to tear down some old, you know, uh, what are those buildings called? You know, the, the terrace buildings, tear them down, uh, they uh, put new balustrading up, and there were all these beautiful... Signs that went up, welcome to our Queen. Have a look at one, what one reporter said. One reporter wrote, In Dowling Street, the shabbiness of its old houses was lost in the glowing colours of the flags, the streamers and the balloons, and the ugliness of many an old iron balustrated veranda valiantly hidden under banners saying, Welcome to our Queen. Now, the town of Dubbo, have a look at the town of Dubbo. Have a quick comment to the person next to you about the town of Dubbo, uh, how the town of Dubbo welcomed the Queen. So they invited 30, uh, 30 local uh, sheep studs to produce their sheep and to parade them before the Queen. Uh, and so the Queen went up and down looking at the sheep's rear ends. Uh, that's how Dubbo did it. Uh, now, it's one thing to get ready for the Queen. It's quite another to get ready for God's King. Now, I'm just going to take a moment. I'm feeling a little bit anxious right now. I'm going to sit down, have a drink, and then I'll come back up. So please excuse me for a moment. Whew.
Okay, here we go. I'm back again. It's one of these, um, like with having Parkinson's disease, I get these little um, kind of uh, tremor and sometimes it just kind of creates a little bit of anxiety too, especially when I've got a beautiful crowd in front of me who are all laughing away. And, uh, and anyway, so uh, let's, let's press on and uh, please bear with me. So it is one thing to prepare for the coming of the Queen. It's quite another to prepare for the coming of God's kingdom. Uh, and we are told in God's word that a day is coming any day when Jesus, God's king, will return. Uh, and I want to ask you, that idea of God's king, Jesus, returning, does that idea sell, uh, fill you with joy in your hearts or does it fill you with dread? Uh, now, the good news is uh, God wants you to be ready for that day. God offers to make you ready for that day. Uh, God wants it to be so that that day is not a day of dread, uh, but a day of joy. Uh, so this morning, we're going to turn uh, return again to Mark's gospel. Uh, and it's very comfortable sitting down here, by the way. So thank you. Uh, and we've got three key points. And the first point is this, good news, God's king has come. Uh, now, I'm going to put up a quote on the screen, and you've got to work out which world leader this quote is referring to. Uh, here's the quote. It is a, so this was at the birth of a certain leader. It is a day which we may justly count as equivalent to the beginning of everything. It has restored the shape of everything that was failing, given a new look to the universe, a saviour for us all. His birthday is the beginning for the world of good news. Hitherto, the reckoning of time shall begin with his birth. Wow, there's quite a bit of hype surrounding the coming of this leader. So can you guess who those words were written about? Now, I'm going to give you some hints, right, just before you start guessing. So here are, here are some possibilities. It's one of these six. What are you, what are you laughing about here? Uh, Alexander the Great, Caesar Augustus, Jesus Christ, Donald Trump, Kim Jong-un, or David Sheath. So have a quick word. Who do you think this reference was first made about? Thank you, whoever said that. Okay, well, you don't... Well, I asked this question of our church family during the COVID lockdown. Uh, here were the results of what people thought. Uh, so most people thought it was about Jesus. 14% thought it was about Caesar Augustus. 8% about Alexander. 12% thought it was about me, uh, which is lovely. And no wonder you come to church, you know. It's, uh, but uh, here, is the, here is who it was really about. Caesar Augustus. So when Caesar Augustus was born, 
they said a proclamation was put out, it is a day which we may justly count as equivalent to the beginning of everything. It has restored the shape of everything that was failing. It has given a new look to the universe, a saviour for us all. His birthday is the beginning for the world of good news. Hitherto, the reckoning of time shall begin with his birth. You can understand why people thought it was about Jesus, can't you? You know, because a new dating system kicked in with the coming of Jesus. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and that sort of language is certainly used to talk about Jesus. But when Caesar Augustus was born, that was the kind of hype uh, surrounding his birth, the promise. Uh, and so often that happens with world leaders, doesn't it? The hype as they come into power... And yet, again and again, they disappoint us terribly. So, the followers of Jesus took that little phrase, good news, which is one word in Greek, euangelion, Uh, it means gospel. Uh, Sorry, it's sometimes translated gospel or good news, exactly the same word. But they took this word, which was such an exciting declaration of a new king in power, And they used it to describe the coming to power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Mark's gospel begins like this. The beginning of the good news, the gospel, about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And if you were here last week as um, Sam was preaching to us, you might know that that sentence taps into a deep seam of prophetic expectation. Expectations about the coming Messiah, the kingdom of God, uh, God's rule, where God would put, a, put away all the corrupt, abusive leadership in our world and establish a kingdom of justice and peace that would last forever. Uh, his Messiah. Now, our world desperately needs good leadership. Would you agree? There are some issues where I look at them. Like I look at Israel and, um, and Gaza, and I just think, what is the answer? Right? Even if those two leaders were trying to cooperate, what is the, what is the solution to such an intractable problem? Uh, good leadership, they need to be incredibly wise, incredibly conciliatory. What's the, what's the solution to Indigenous Australia? You know, where just, you know, the wrong thing has clearly taken place 200 years ago, but how do we now address it? wisely and justly uh, and in a way that brings true peace and reconciliation but even in our own lives man I just I'd love to know how to run my own household you know what is wisdom from day to day we need good leadership whatever we think Uh, now let me tell you a couple of situations in our world so later this year America will elect a new president and it looks like it will probably be Donald Trump or Joe Biden. But here's the thing, most Americans don't want either as their president. Most Americans strongly don't want uh, either as their president. And yet, here is the most powerful nation on the planet. Here is the, what do you call it, the, the leader of our free world this person will be. And yet, deeply unpopular even in his own country. Um, so they will, Americans in a democratic society without someone holding a gun to their head, they will choose a leader they don't really want to have. Uh, 
It's not much better in Australia. Roy Morgan recently ran a, a poll in Australia, uh, and, and so let me show you that one. Uh, so they asked Australians, do you trust Anthony Albanese and uh, Peter Dutton? Uh, and, and yes, some people trust them. More people distrust them, and so the net result is a negative. Uh, so the net result is we distrust these leaders more than we trust them. So the next federal election here in Australia, again, a democracy, no one's forcing us to vote for these people, but the next federal election will be based on who we distrust the least. That's a very low bar, isn't it, for kind of uh, aspiring to leadership in a country like ours. So, much, so used to leaders who offer so much and deliver so little. Well, hundreds of years before Jesus... God promised that he would usher in a kingdom, an eternal kingdom, uh, a king who would rule with justice and compassion. Beautiful thing, justice and compassion, combining those things together. A king who would do away with corruption and abuse and bullying leaders. A king who would be known as the Prince of Peace. And the followers of Jesus were utterly convinced that Jesus was the man God had been pointing towards. He was the chosen Messiah, the leader the world needs. Uh, and 2,000 years later, many of us here in this room, many of us here at the Lakes Church, we are still convinced. We are convinced more than ever. That is why we run Good News Week. Uh, it's all about this gospel, this good news of Jesus, which we believe is the hope that, a, that a, a desperate world needs. It, he is the future uh, of a world that is in warfare and disharmony and crisis. So this is why so many of our church community give up the first week of January each year. Uh, so many of our young adults, it is bizarre, isn't it? Teenagers and young adults taking a week off their holidays to actually come and care for little kids and to teach them the good news of Jesus. But it is because we utterly believe the good news of Jesus. He is God's king, and he is the king we need. Point number two. It's good news with a surprising twist. Verse nine. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now are you aware of the idea of foreshadowing? Have you heard of foreshadowing? It sometimes happens in books or movies. Where there's a little hint given early on. Of something that's going to take place later. Sometimes a portent. I'll give you one from uh, The Empire Strikes Back which I know is really old, but surely Star Wars, you know, is still in our culture. Uh, so in, early in The Empire Strikes Back, Luke has this kind of vision, and he sees Darth Vader's head decapitated. But there behind the mask, he sees his own face. And, and, and you go, what are we meant to make of that? What is Luke meant to make of that? It raises all sorts of questions about the connection between Luke and Darth Vader, Connections that will become clearer as the story goes on, as we discover, you know, remember Darth Vader says, 
Luke, you are my father. Uh, and you see that, all the connections, and you, and you realize Luke has a choice. Is he going to follow the path of hate like his dad did? Or will he follow the path of the force, uh, whatever that is? All right. all right, so now, come back to the birth of Jesus. The voice of God at Jesus' baptism contains this surprising, even ominous foreshadowing. God says, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Uh, and that little phrase, for someone who's familiar with Old Testament expectation, it points you in two directions. Firstly, it points you to the great king who would come. Psalm 2 was one of the great... So just show us the great king and Psalm 2, uh, which talks about the Messiah... God's king, who will come and rule God's kingdom, and God would say to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. So there's this intimate relationship between God and his king, and that's expressed by God at the baptism of Jesus. But that last little phrase, with you I am well pleased, taps into another stream of Old Testament expectation. And that is God's suffering servant who would go on to be rejected and killed. But by God's purpose, he would lay down his life, not for his own sin, but for the sin of many. And so even before Jesus begins his ministry, there is this surprising foreshadowing, uh, just a hint of the kind of the mission of this King Jesus. God's King, the hope of all nations, is also the suffering servant who would lay down his life in humiliation uh, for the forgiveness of God's people. It is, a, it is an amazing plan of God. Uh, let, let, me show you, let me show you how we pull those things together. Okay, take them apart again. There are not enough people groaning with delight there. Uh, so just let me say, if you if you are, oh thank you yeah there there okay we only see Jesus as we pull those two things together the King and the righteous suffering servant are one and the same person. Now did you know that um, that image goes back to even before around the time that the lake started? It originally started on overhead projector, uh, and I just I just scanned it in, uh, and so it's it, it's endured for twenty two years. So some of you have delighted in that for 22 years. If anyone feels like they can improve on it, please come and let me know. But it's hard to improve on perfection, isn't it? Uh, so, but the idea is that, and it will become clearer as the gospel goes on, that God's conquering king is the one who lays down his life uh, to die for God's people. And you just think, wow, who would ever have dreamed that up? It was there in the Old Testament if people had eyes to see. It was there at Jesus' baptism, but so many people were scandalised by that. Uh, so many people were just horrified at the idea that God's king could be humiliated on the cross and hung up to die. Uh, and what we see after the baptism, what happens is Jesus immediately is taken out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. So not only is the king the suffering servant, but he is the one who will wage 
a supernatural battle on behalf of the forces of uh, good. The forces of good versus the forces of evil. So Jesus' ministry, his rule will not only be over human, humanity, but his rule will be over the supernatural realm. And he will take down Satan and death and the demons. And again, this is foreshadowing because it will become clearer uh, as uh, the story rolls on. And that is what Je- that, this is what makes Jesus such a great king. He's not a king who merely promises great things. You know, we're used to that. I remember Barack Obama. Do you remember the hype as he came to power? Or some of you might remember Gough Whitlam. You know, it's time and the excitement of, of a new era. Uh, and so many of our leaders kind of come with so much promise, but they let us down again and again. Jesus is announced by God as the Messiah, but he will come and lay down his life in service. This is a king who models servant-heartedness. This is a king who demonstrates his love for us, even laying down his life on the cross. And, and what it does is it brings great assurance for those who trust in Jesus. So let me show you a beautiful quote where the Apostle Paul reflects, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, can you hear the ringing confidence and assurance there? It is just such a passage of great warmth, and it's so dear to many of our hearts. And I want to say this passage is not merely good in theory. I've seen it in practice. I've seen it worked out in action. And so I've seen brothers and sisters here going through terrible suffering and yet able to hold on to the goodness of God, knowing that in the valley, God is with them. You know, I've held uh, hands of brothers uh, who in their final days have died, but they've died with an assurance that because of Jesus' death in their place, they are going to be with him. Uh, Brothers and sisters, I should say. Uh, And it it makes all the difference, all the difference, uh, to, to actually die with the confidence that comes from knowing Jesus. So that's point two, the surprising twist that the king is the suffering servant. But what a great twist that is. Uh, And thirdly, good news, are you ready? You see, Jesus wants us to be ready. So after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. So that same good news is now on the lips of Jesus. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And as we um, continue on this story of Mark's gospel, so we're going to be working our way through half of Mark's gospel by the time we get to Easter. Uh, As we continue on in the story, we realise the nation of Israel are a nation dominated by sickness and evil oppression. There are demons, there's fear, there's religious bullying, uh, there's sickness, death, abuse. This is a sick 
nation. This is a nation in need of salvation. They desperately need a good leader, and yet, uh, so they desperately need a good leader, and they had all the prophetic expectations uh, that a good leader was going to come, the Messiah. They had every reason to be waiting expectantly for the coming of God's Messiah, but when Jesus starts his ministry, so many of them are not ready. Even when Jesus announces, repent and believe, get ready, they, they fail to listen. They fail to take his words to heart. And so tragically, most of the people of Israel at that time fail to recognise that their Messiah had come in the person of Jesus. Now we heard earlier the state government are scrambling when the Queen arrived in Australia 70 years ago uh, and you know pulling down buildings you know plastering up you know uh, old ugly unsightly buildings I wonder what we'll do about the king who comes later this year uh, is anyone feel embarrassed about their home with the king coming uh, it doesn't really make a difference to, to my life um, <clears throat> uh, what about Paris? I reckon Paris are probably doing a clean-up at the moment because they're having an Olympic Games soon and there's a lot of ugly areas of Paris, I'm told. Um, I'm told that some people are so disappointed when they get to Paris they uh, need to be treated for you know, mental health uh, disorder. Oh, I, I, I've read it. Anyway, just ignore that. Uh, all right. Uh, and, but... but I'm sure we've all set, felt that sense of panic. Have you kind of been in your house just, you know, slobbing away and then someone knocks on the door and you just go, oh my goodness. What if they want to come in and look at the house? Or, or I've even had a situation where I'd actually booked someone to come for dinner and I'd totally forgotten about it. And so Ruth and I are slobbing away. Ruth, you know, does this a lot. Uh, anyway, we're just kind of... You know, watching telly and the dishes are all out there and, and, and everything's a mess. And so it's like this panic. Uh, and you say, get everything, you know, put it in, in one room and you close the door uh, and you hope, you hope your guests don't. Has anyone ever had that experience? Uh, some of you, some of you can relate to this. <clears throat> um, here is the thing. The most important thing you need to be ready for is not King Charles III or... Queen Elizabeth II or some uninvited or invited guest coming to your house, it is the coming of King Jesus. That is the thing that each one of us needs to prepare for. How do you prepare for God's kingdom? Well, Jesus makes it clear the way to get ready is to repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. It's breaking in. Repent and believe the good news. Now, the word repent, people can get confused about that as if it means some sort of moral reform. So I've got to somehow clean up the house before he comes. Um, But what repentance is at its heart is a change of mindset. And it might in time lead to a, a cleaning up of your life. But don't you don't need to clean up your life before you come to Jesus because he forgives us our sins. Right? And he says, let's, let's make a fresh start. Uh, and you kind of, let, let's, let's clean up together. It's not like we, we need to clean up before we can welcome him in. 
Uh, that's the beautiful thing about Jesus. But I, I want to give you an example of repentance. <clears throat> there was um, a woman, a little bit highly strung uh, woman. Uh, she was on a lunch break. She went out to the park and sat on a park bench, just like I'm doing here. So this is all a setup for my uh, illustration here. Sat on a park bench and there was a, you know, the guy up the other end of the bench and she kind of, you know, you know, her handbag, like, you know, those handbags have a lot in them, don't they? Anyway, she gets a, gets a lunch out, arranges it on the um, bench beside her and starts reading a book. And then she notices this guy reaches out, takes one of her Tim Tams and starts eating it. And she, she's horrified. She's like, who is this guy? Like, what, what a hide this guy has. And so she herself reaches out, takes her Tim Tam, she starts munching on it, you know, a little bit, you know, haughtily. Uh, and then she keeps reading and uh, he just kind of looks over and smiles, you know, like some guys do. Uh, and anyway, and so totally oblivious. And then, and then a few minutes later, he does it again, reaches out, start, grabs a Tim Tam, starts eating it, and she's kind of starting to feel incensed. And so she lets out one of those, hmm, you know, you know, like women can do sometimes. Uh, I, I, I can't imitate it very well. But anyway, where you, you're meant to know you've done the wrong thing. And he just smiles again and, you know, keeps on reading the newspaper. And then he reaches out a third time. And at this point, she slaps his hand, grabs, she grabs all the food, grabs the Tim Tams, puts them in her handbag, and she rushes off to find more polite company. And she finds a park bench. Uh, she gets the stuff out, she starts arranging it, only to discover there's now two packets of Tim Tams. And then this dreadful realisation sweeps over her. They were actually his Tim Tams that he was eating. In fact, they were his Tim Tams that she was eating. Uh, and now, this is a great illustration, people, of how we treat God. Right? The God who made us. He's our creator. And he made everything for us to enjoy in relationship with him. And so he wants us to delight in this good world that he's made. And what we do is we take and we take uh, as if everything was ours to do whatever we like, but we fail to give him thanks. We fail to acknowledge that he has any kind of right over our lives. And sometimes we're even offended at the thought that we might owe God anything. Now, repentance is when we come to the realisation, this is God's world, uh, not my world. And one day, I must give an account to the God who made me. Uh, and, it's, you know, I may, I may feel offended by God claiming a right over my life, but he, if he is my creator, my good, loving creator, then he has every right to demand an account from me for what, the way I treated him, the way I ignored him, the way I disobeyed him. So what we need to do is change the way we think about life, ourselves and God, to recognise God is king. Jesus is the king that he has sent amongst us. That is repentance. That realisation, I'm not God. God is God and I ought to honour him, 
not live my life completely independently of him. Now, the good news is that even though you and I have treated God appallingly at times, Jesus died for our forgiveness. Now, that is great news because some of you, it's not just one room. Some of you have got a number of rooms that are jammed full of mess and shame and guilt and you, you kind of you hide that from other people and we kind of delude ourselves that somehow we can hide that from God. And hopefully when God inspects my life, he won't notice all that stuff that's kind of locked away in those rooms. But that's the wrong way to approach God because Jesus has come to forgive all our sin. He's come to remove all the shame. Uh, and so we don't need to be ashamed before him. We actually come clean and, say, and own it and say, here it is, please forgive me. And we have that promise that he will forgive. He's promised forgiveness uh, through his suffering King Jesus. So I want to take you to the last book of the Bible where we hear this invitation. And it's an invitation that comes from the Lord Jesus himself. He says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It's just a beautiful, warm invitation from Jesus. Uh, I want to say for some of you, you're at a point where you're feeling like, I'm just not sure what to make of all of this. Don't know whether it's true. Uh, I'm not yet persuaded about Jesus, but I'm open to finding out more. And I just want to say, if that's you, it is so great that you've come to join us and we would love you to keep coming Sunday by Sunday because we would love to introduce you to King Jesus. He's such a good king. Uh, and if that's you, I want to say the Life Series that starts in February, I think it's February the 6th or something like that, or Tuesday night, runs for five weeks. It's the perfect place to make a start, to investigate the historical claims of Jesus to work through what it means uh, that he died on the cross and rose again and so on. So that, if that, that might be for you if you're kind of not yet persuaded. But I imagine that there are some of you here today who know these things are true. Uh, you've kind of basically persuaded already and today might well be the day when you need to respond uh, up until today, you might have kept the door shut because of fear of what happens when I let Jesus in. And, uh, and I just want to encourage you, don't, he, he is a good king. And there is, there is a reason to fear Jesus if you keep him at a distance your whole life and then face him as the judge. But right now, he invites you to open the door. Uh, and he, he wants to take away your fear, and he wants to bring you into his kingdom as one of his beloved, his beloved bride and a child of God. And so today might be the day for you to open your heart to the Lord Jesus and say, I repent and believe. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and it's just three simple words. Uh, I'll, I'll unpack the words, but sorry, thank you, and please... And if this represents kind of your heart, uh, then please pray the prayer along in the quietness of your own heart with me. Let me pray. 
God our Father, I'm sorry for the way I have treated you. I have ignored you and tried to run my life my own way without you. Thank you for sending your King Jesus into our world. Thank you that he died in my place for my forgiveness. Thank you that he is coming again soon to to bring your eternal kingdom of peace and justice, joy and love. Please forgive me and please change me so that I might live with you as my God and with Jesus as my King and Saviour. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, we'd love to know. Uh, So please just, just talk to someone. Uh, And let's help you make a new start with Jesus as we start this new year. Thanks, everyone.